Hello, my friends. I'm Paul White, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the final day of the month of April, April the 30th, 2023. As you know, final day of the month means essay edition, and as we've done for 2023, wherever we are in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, that's where the essay edition will focus. You can find a print version of the essay edition at our website, paulwhiteministry.com. But, as always, we write it, and then I read it for you. So what follows is the essay for Mount Transfiguration, Mark chapter 9. The essay edition for April 2023. The ninth chapter of Mark seems to open on the wrong verse. The conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples in the previous chapter has spilt over into a public sermon. In it, Jesus warns his listeners that their current generation is adulterous and sinful, and gives them warnings about the arrival of the Son of Man with the holy angels. These details mark the end of chapter 8. The translators began the new chapter with what was the last line of Jesus' little sermon. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. The mystery is why they saw fit to start a new chapter. When beginning with the next verse makes more sense. Mark 9 verse 2 reads, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. I have a theory that the translators split the chapter where they did to connect Jesus' prophecy with his transfiguration. He told the crowd that some of them would not die until they saw the kingdom. Then he went to a mountain and shined forth with the glory of the Father. This makes for a tidy little fulfillment of prophecy. Some of you will not die until you see the sun clothed in glory. Oh, by the way, it will happen six days from now. I don't know about you, but I do not see the difficulty in guessing that some of these people would still be alive in a week. This little split by the translators has done more to damage our understanding of Jesus' prophecy than it has the story of transfiguration. So let's not linger here much longer. Transfiguration is our goal. I am persuaded that the translators should have split the chapter one verse later than they did, connecting Jesus' prophecy to his arrival in the clouds at the fall of the temple age in AD 70. Instead, They are leading the reader into a weird moment where Jesus gives a prophetic word that anyone in any group in any era could give with 100% accuracy. Some of you standing here will still be alive in a week. No, I don't think so. The prophecy is not fulfilled at transfiguration. Instead, transfiguration is a glimpse at the world of the Son of Man. Transfiguration is recorded in three Gospels and attested to in 2 Peter and in the Gospel of John, where John states that we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. And that sums it up pretty well. Transfiguration is the manifestation of God's grace and truth in one moment and in one man. Jesus as grace and Jesus as truth, in perfect contrast to the two Old Testament characters most strongly associated with those concepts. Moses is often thought of as a representative of the law, which he most certainly is. But before that, he was seen as the embodiment of grace, for he was the one man among Israel who was believed to be walking in the grace of God. 
In Exodus 33, he prayed that if he had found grace, then God would show him his ways. God did. And in verse 17, he told Moses, You have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Elijah is a type of all the prophets of the Old Testament, finding his peak in the last of those prophets, John the Baptist. He was viewed as the embodiment of the truth about God. This idea is still popular today, even among Christians, as a popular worship song proclaims these to be the days of Elijah. And a world-renowned evangelist has a teaching series on Elijah subtitled, Truth for All Seasons. We can't seem to get away from our infatuation with the man who once called down fire on his enemies. Jesus' moment on the Mount of Transfiguration was supposed to change those ideas and misconceptions. Here, his appearance transformed into a bright light, a manifestation of glory that revealed him as he was, is, and will be, one with the Father. Alongside Jesus were the figures of Moses and Elijah, two men that Peter, James, and John have no trouble recognizing. An interesting fact, considering they had no way of knowing what these men looked like. But that is just an unnecessary diversion from the main point. Jesus' transfiguration was accompanied by the epitome of the law and the prophets and by the voice from heaven. The voice from heaven was the seal, the thing that made this experience holy. Jesus is the approved one, the one upon whom God showers his love and affection with, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Mark tells us that Peter spoke for two reasons. He did not know what to say, and he was terrified. Allow me a moment of diversion with this. We often speak our fears and insecurities into our moments of weakness and pain. When we should be silent and listen, we speak up for fear that silence will engulf us. Like Peter, we speak about something that we think makes sense, something that appears to be truth in the natural realm. It is good for us to be here, he says, and he's not wrong. It is good for them to be there. That is exactly why Jesus took them up that mountain. But he thinks it is good for all the wrong reasons. To him it is good because it validates their trust in Jesus. He is on par with Moses and Elijah. To this end, he thinks they should build three little tabernacles, monuments or temples, where people can take a pilgrimage to see the great triumvirate. Peter thinks he's on the precipice of the announcement they've all been waiting for. Jesus is the Messiah that will deliver Israel. And Moses and Elijah are here to make it happen. As soon as he's finished talking, God talks and points everything to Jesus. To enforce his statement, God removes Moses and Elijah from the scene. Together, the audible and the visual leave us with something like this. Jesus is who you are to listen to from now on, and to prove it, I am going to clear the field of all other voices. No more Moses, no more Elijah. Grace and truth are the only thing left standing on the field. Moses had been the picture of grace, but his life was burdened down with the law of Mount Sinai. His legacy was the legal code of Judaism, and where law enters, grace is squashed. To move on from the list of performance demands and righteousness based upon our moral success and failure, Moses needs to leave the scene. 
When we see pure grace in the life and love of Jesus, we realize that what we called grace in Moses was a varnished version of the real thing. Jesus is grace, and he is the only one left on the field. Elijah was the walking embodiment of truth, the standard of godliness and boldness by which generations of prophets compared themselves to. But there was blood on his hands. He had used his apostolic authority to kill his enemies. And when he found himself alone in a cave, he was so unimpressed with the still, small voice of his God that his ministry ended with more a whimper than a bang. To move on from the version of truth that picks up the death machinery of the enemy and finds solace only in the spectacular, Elijah needs to leave the scene. When we see truth exemplified in the life of Jesus, we realize that what we call truth in Elijah was a tainted version of the real thing. Jesus is truth, and he is the only one left on the field. Transfiguration is a revelation of God's kingdom. The law and the prophets have been superseded by Jesus. The departure of which Mark tells us they speak was the death of the cross that Jesus was on his way towards. Moses and Elijah both know of this death, for it is the climactic event that all of heaven has been awaiting. Moses and Elijah talk about the cross with Jesus, for the cross is the answer to everything within the life and ministry of both men. Christ's death on the cross would not only be his exit from the life of a human, but would serve as the redemption of his people. His death was a new exodus, out of the slavery of sin and into the life of the new creation. The mountain of transfiguration cannot be undersold as an important theological development for what would become the Christian faith. Several vital things happened in that moment. Jesus is once again confirmed as God's choice, both audibly and visually. He has no equal. He is greater than Moses, the giver of the law, making whatever he offers a greater gift than Sinai. Hebrews would call it a better covenant built upon better promises. He is greater than Elijah, the embodiment of truth. If Elijah would call down fire on his enemies, Jesus would pray for his and call such an Elijah-like response a strange spirit. Paul's letters reflect this superior Jesus. An encounter with the resurrected Christ convinced him that Moses' law was actually the ministry of death and that prophecy should not kill, but rather exhort, comfort, and edify. Without a transfigured Jesus, these positions would be heretical, but considering the glorified Son of God, we find Paul a breath of fresh air. Like he said to the Romans, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. It isn't much of a leap to assume that it was at transfiguration that the law and the prophets witnessed the righteousness of God. They saw it all summed up in Jesus and they bowed out. There was nothing left for them to do. Since there is nothing left for them to do, then there is nothing left for you to receive from them. Oh yes, we pay attention to the writings of the law and the prophets, but only inasmuch as they show us Jesus. Where they point to our failure or they condemn us, we listen closely for the sound of the Father. Look at my Son. He is the author and finisher of your faith. In Him I am well pleased, and you are in Him, and I have made you accepted in my Beloved One. Look up. Be silent, hear the voice of our Father, and notice only Jesus. There is no one else left on the field. 
Grace to you.